listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining with the First Church family for our midweek Bible study or spiritual conversation. Uh, my name's Nathan. I am honored to be the lead pastor. Uh, let's get right into our time together. Uh, I want to entitle this uh, simply this. I am sick of waiting. Uh, I am sick of waiting. So let me explain why I'm using that as a theme here. Uh, of course, it's the holidays, and of course, we're busier than normal. And when you are very busy, you are very short-tempered, shall we say. Uh, when you have a lot going on, um, it's quite, quite natural for us to get irritated uh, with anything that holds us up. It's like you have this metronome in the back in the back of your head that's trying to tell you to get it, get things done, get this done, get this done, get this done, and here you are stuck in a holiday traffic. Which, admittedly, uh, this year is not as bad as in past years. Maybe that is the uh, one of the few good things to come out of uh, this crazy 2020 we've had. Um, but you understand what I'm saying when I talk about how easy it is to be uh, sick of waiting. Uh, I want to tell you a story from uh, Luke chapter number two, and it is early within the, within the story of Jesus. There are two characters that are at the temple, and they see Jesus when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, which was part of their worship, part of their way of saying thank you to God for blessing them with a child part of the way in which they dedicated their children unto the Lord. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's less than a month old. And his parents, Mary and Joseph, bring him to the temple in Jerusalem. And it's written in the law, every firstborn male shall be consecrated to the Lord and a sacrifice of two turtle doves shall be, shall be offered. So Joseph and Mary are doing the right thing by, by fulfilling this, this spiritual directive, which is a formal way of being thankful for the blessings of God in their life. Now, there are, there are two people at the temple who are at the end of their life, so to speak. They're in the autumn of their life. And you will have probably heard of them before. Uh, the first one's named Simeon. Very righteous, very devout man. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he passed over. Now, that's quite an astonishing promise to have the Lord give to someone. Uh, before you pass, before you die, you will see the Messiah. This is particularly amazing because remember all the faithful generations who had lived as heroes of faith and they died not receiving the promise, not seeing the hope that had been promised to the world. But here this man, Simeon, placed uniquely uh, in this moment where he is able to end his natural life by seeing the beginning of our spiritual hope, the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, here he is, and uh, he is able to see this baby Jesus. Uh, and with him uh, there in the temple uh, is uh, Anna. Anna also is a 80, she's, she's in the autumn of her life. She's an 84-year-old widow and the Bible says she never left the temple. She, she prayed and fasted day and night. And she is included 
in this, this promise. She's included in this revelation that this baby is not just another baby, but this is the Christ child. Um, the Lamb of God for sinner slain right here, uh, held in, in her arms. And Luke tells the story um, that in chapter number two, and he starts telling it around uh, verse 22, and um, he, he, will, he will say this, um, he will record this as what Simeon said when he took Jesus into his arms. The Bible says he blessed God and he said, now God, you may let your servant die in peace. My eyes have seen your Savior, a light for the Gentiles, and glory for your people, Israel. Now, I, I love this passage. Um, let me just take a little side trail here real quickly. Why I, in my personal life, my personal faith, I love this passage so much. It's really easy to be religious and miss what God is doing. In fact, I would say that's probably what most of us do. Uh, we each individually hope and think and maybe privately opine that we don't do that. We get it right, you know. Um, but I, if the Bible is any example of sincere people trying to get it right, then the vast majority of religious people, um, it's not that they make no offering to the Lord, but it's really, really difficult to see how God is moving. Now, think of all the religious people that were uh, alive during the time uh, of Jesus' birth, he, his, his coming of years, his ministry, uh, Aseans, Sadducees, Pharisees, um, the Sanhedrin Council, uh, scribes and lawyers, and the countryside is awash with religious people. In fact, it would not, it, it, to be non-religious would be what was strange, not to be what, religious. And almost to an individual, they had no idea what God was doing. They didn't come to Bethlehem and look. They didn't perceive the uniqueness that was upon this, um, this boy who can confound doctors and lawyers in the temple at the age of 12. Um, yes, the lawyers could see he knows a lot, but they're not thinking Lamb of God. They're thinking bright young man. They miss it. They miss it when Jesus stands in the synagogue and reads... At the outset of his ministry, he reads Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Uh, when he does that, the crowds there, they're scandalized. They don't think, oh, this is the Lamb of God. Um, when Jesus does great works, the initial response is not, oh, the Lamb of God. Oftentimes it's to critique him, to see him as their religious competition. In some cases, to take up stones to throw him. All of these religious people essentially miss what Christ is doing, why Christ has come. They essentially miss it. It's not that they don't know and they haven't read the law. That's all they've known and read practically, but they miss it, do you see? Um, this is so common in the scripture that it's, it should humble us. Um, I, in my own life, have seen how easy it has been for me to fall into a snare of not, you know, bearing my soul before God and saying, Lord, I want to please you, but trying to serve to please someone else. You know, not serving God, but serving my peers. <laughs> you see, it's, it's the same old song where it's not that we're not religious, it's just that uh, pursuing is hard and seeking is hard and knocking is hard on your knuckles. And <laughs> so what we do is rather than pursue the austere, sometimes cold, lonely path, the straight and narrow path of truth, what we do is we kind of settle into a, 
a warm bath of groupthink. And as long as this person, who I know and respect, says I'm right, then I'm right. Um, Simeon is a picture of an individual who seems to, he doesn't have a lot of people sitting at his feet, but he can see what God is doing. How do we know that? He says this, my eyes have seen the Savior, a light for the Gentiles. Do you see? A light for the Gentiles and glory for your people. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is it right here. The work of a Savior and a King, son of David. Um, I, like you, I'm sure that uh, you, like me, perhaps I should say, we want to get it right. We want to serve God and fear God and not just kind of fall into a groupthink mode and group together with the people who agree with us and reflect our opinions back and forth and call it truth. We need to pursue the presence of God. We need to pursue the word of God. We need to humble ourselves and deeply desire that. But I, I, that wasn't what I was teaching about tonight. So forgive me for that, that uh, short hike, hopefully through some interesting woods. Um, so here is Anna, the prophetess, um, and she is now able to have a peace in her heart, having seen the Messiah. Here is Simeon, this great man of faith, who is now saying, look, I can, I can die in peace because I've seen the promise of God. Um, they are living out something that we religious people say to each other when we say, you should wait on the Lord. Well, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I get sick of waiting. And maybe that is because I fail to understand what waiting is. Uh, that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, it is so natural for us to miss the point of waiting and think that what we're really doing is being patient until God gives us what we think he should give us. Do you see? I'm waiting on the Lord because I've decided he owes me or by faith, I claim a, little, a winning lottery pick, ticket, and now I'm just waiting on till it happens. Um, if that is the way we think about waiting, I'm afraid we're missing the larger part of it. Um, I myself have spent many, many years uh, within the church uh, thinking that waiting was, you know, claiming God's promise kind of defining it in my mind, what I expected, and then just waiting for God to fulfill it. And maturity has taught me, and hopefully you also, that a lot of times God doesn't give us what we ask. And waiting on Him is not simply being patient for Him to obey our commands. Waiting on Him is deeper than that. And that's what I, I want to talk to you about. What if we made sure, we recalibrated this idea of waiting on the Lord from simply our needs being met on his time schedule to something spiritually deeper. Um, yes, when I'm sick, I want to be healed and I'm waiting on the Lord to heal me. But what if I'm not healed in some manner that I'm satisfied with? What if instead I go through the valley rather than being transported over the valley? And, and, and what if God uses that valley to glorify his name in the same manner that a moment of instantaneous uh, healing would glorify his name. Uh, what, if, what if I serve God rather than God serves me? Uh, so um, this is not new to you. You guys heard me talk about these themes a lot, but uh, I want you to consider this. What if spiritual waiting was actually to live our life by a spiritual contemplative rhythm? What if waiting on the Lord was not 
I made a list and now I'm just waiting on the Lord to you know, work it through the spiritual DMV and eventually they'll send me my license in the mail. What if it was from that, which I believe is, is, is mostly error, not all error, but mostly error. What if it was more to walk in a reflective, spiritually contemplative way? What if there was a spiritual speed in your life, at which you moved, at which you lived, at which you thought, prayed, reflected, and believed. There was a a spiritual speed whereby you were effective. You were not impatiently rushing from this. What if you could spend time in his presence and that be not simply the collection of your blessing or the celebration of the promises given to you, but what if it was what it meant to really walk with him and live a spiritually contemplative life that moves at divine pace and moves at spiritual speed. I actually believe that is what uh, the scripture is referring to when it talks about waiting on the Lord. Not simply checking whether or not he's done what you've asked, but living at a spiritual speed. Let me try to use an example that I think perhaps will show you the importance of this. We all of us think a lot about um, uh, rest in terms of Sabbath. I do, you do. It's a commandment in the Old Testament that is given very strongly. I mean, it's right up there beside murder and adultery. (laughs) It's it's seemingly an important thing. And um, it's placed in the scripture. And it's not just a command, but it's something that God God manifests for us. Uh, Genesis 2, I'll start at verse number 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So consider this, the one who has infinite power has created the world as we know it, as we experience in these realms of mortal beings, in this frame of flesh, in this literal biology that can be studied and science applied to. Within this, that God has created, he finishes his creation and then he intentionally and with declaration and with a spiritual example in mind, he rests. Now, I have a question for you. Um, Why did he rest? He wasn't tired. Let's not rush past that. Why did God rest? He, he, He wasn't tired. God doesn't get rest, excuse me, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get exhausted. He doesn't wear out. He's not limited like we're limited. So why would he rest? Well, there is logically only one reason why God would rest as applied to us when he isn't tired. And that is because he wants to teach us something about the necessity of, as it were, considering, consideration, uh, reflection, contemplating. It's as though he is reviewing what he has done not simply for him, but for us, to show us the value of uh, living on his time, 
Living our lives on spiritual time, not rushing, 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 and not simply waiting as a manner of holding God accountable. I'm still waiting. Um, More than that, living your life at spiritual speed. If we get going too fast, you know what we lose? We lose the sacredness of our life. It's, it's, I, I deeply believe that. If we rush too much, we miss the, the, the sacramental in the ordinary, which is how we should live. We lose the ability to see the hand of God in all that he has done, all he has given, all he has promised, because we're just rushing, 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 rushing. To choose the opposite, to, to decide to live at spiritual speed, and not just a rush in a fruitless tempt for more and more. That's vanity, the Bible says. Um, we, we, have to, we have to rest because we are tired. Unlike God, we don't have infinite resources. We do get tired. We have to suspend a busyness and activity. Um, we have to, if you'll allow me to say it this way, we have to retreat into a mysterious interior place of spiritual reflection and spiritual contemplation. It's almost as though we push the pause button and we stop from duty speed and obligation speed and make another buck speed and we slow down to spiritual speed and now, like a priest whose job is to minister to the Lord in the house of the Lord, we as a priest unto the Lord, we experience this this immense sovereignty of God. We never experienced in all of our running and rushing and you you understand what I'm saying. Um, It's almost as though if we stop the frantic, we make room to perceive the eternal. Um, When I was growing up, we sang this song and many of you know it. It goes like this. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Doom, doom, doom. I was playing the bass there. (laughs) Um, That's deeply embedded in my formative memories. You've sang it too. Um, It's, of course, a song written on a scripture that's given to us in the word of the Lord. Uh, If we wait upon the Lord, it's not that we get what we want. It's that we renew our strength. Those aren't the same things. So if we view God as kind of We're waiting on him. We're holding his feet to the fire. It's not about us getting what we want from him. It's about us becoming who he intended us to be. Um, Spiritually, this is very, very important. Um, If we rush too much, we miss so much. And it's not just spiritual things we miss. We miss things that later on in life we'll finally learn to value. I've talked to so many people that feel like they missed uh, the early years of their children, not because they didn't love them, but because they were so busy, they just, they missed it, and they didn't really deeply value it until they were older, and then having a sense of, you know, what mattered, uh, at least to them, they regretted missing those years. When we rush, it's, it's as though we, we, pursuing the things we think will make us happy, takes all the time we have. And so we don't take the time to discover, pursue, or even contemplate upon what might make us happy. And so uh, where is the Lord found in our lives? 
Uh, is he found in our rushing? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I, I would say uh, a good place to start is stillness. I don't mean that in some type of a, you know, misty temple on a hill and there you sit with the monks and hum together. No, that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual stillness in your life. I believe uh, there's great value in making space in your life. If you make space, you'll find prayer easy. If you don't make space, you'll find prayer impossible. Psalms 46 and 10, be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Cultivate some stillness in your life. Um, Where is the Lord found? I don't think he's found in your to-do list. I'm not saying don't be productive. By all means, I believe the more productive you are, the more intentional you are. I believe if you want to get something done, give it to somebody who has actually written down what they've got to do. Um, I think a lot of our business comes out of a lazy lack of organization. I honestly believe that if we would organize our day, we would have more contemplative time. We would be able to bask in the profound stillness uh, of God's presence. Um, you've all remember the story of the prophet and he's running for his life and he's terrified and he's discouraged and he's depressed and the Lord's trying to teach him something, show him something. And uh, Elijah's plan was to win back the nation by fire, sword, destruction of the prophets of Baal. Um, it doesn't work out the way he thought. He's running. He's now at the end of his plans. He's upset. He's angry. He just wants to die. And the Lord lets a series of things happen to him to teach him spiritual truth that he needs in that moment. The first thing that happens is a great strong wind tears into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces, but the Lord was not in the wind. The second thing that happens is after the wind, there's this earthquake that comes and it shakes. And the Bible says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire across the landscape, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Um, I believe God is often in the still, small voices of our life. I admit that after a life of, of trying to, to, to be a, a Christian, uh, pretty much as long as I can remember, there's been a few years where I was kind of faking it and I was carnal inside, but for the most part, I've, I've kind of reached and tried and um, worked through the fights I've had with, with, with doubt and skepticism and cynicism. And I know y'all don't know what cynicism is. Um, it's just me. Y'all can pray for me. Um, but I've tried and I've tried and the waiting is sometimes just as difficult as suffering. It's just difficult in a different way. Whereas suffering is in a moment, it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's sharp, it's hot, it's now. Uh, waiting is just a grind of despair, a grind of, a, you know, like a delaying battle with skepticism and cynicism. It can feel like that. But I, I want you to know, perhaps the point of waiting scripturally is not for us to finally get what we want from God. Perhaps waiting spiritually is for us to find the spiritual speed at which we can receive of the Lord and we can minister unto the Lord. Perhaps we can, like Simeon and Anna, uh, 
find a way to spend time in the presence of the Lord, not in some way holding God accountable, not holding his feet to the fire, but living at a spiritual speed where we have time to reflect, where we have time to observe, where we have time to listen, not just lecture God. <laughs> we have time to wait. We have time to consider. Um, like Simeon and Anna, we need to find a way to patiently wait in worship. When God brings the answer to our prayers, we can celebrate, we can pass from one life to the other, yes, all yes. But let's not let our waiting be about us getting what we want. Let's let our waiting be about giving God time to make us who and what He wants. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for all of the individuals who are taking the time to uh, have this, this Bible study uh, with me. Lord, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them in the difficult seasons of their life and that you would open their understanding in the long days and the long nights and you would allow them and myself uh, not simply to look toward you as the giver of gifts or the keeper of promises, but to look toward you as uh, a friend, uh, as an, a personal relationship, and to understand uh, we're not in some way trying to prompt you to do what we want. We're trying to present ourselves and make ourselves available so that we would do what you want. Give us your anointing, give us your help, give us your mercy, give us your grace. Help us to lead others to the light of your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We love you. God bless you. It's going to be a great week. We hope to see you Sunday. Um, you can still social distance. You can still wear your masks. Uh, as bad as the infections are right now, I'd encourage you to do that. But it's time to start thinking about coming back to church. Uh, you need church and the church needs you. We love you. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.